Warning. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Keith Fiala. Keith is a talented trumpet player who is not afraid of change. From honing his chops on the Austin music scene to touring with the legendary Maynard Ferguson, Keith's career was already a success. But thanks to his mentor, boss, and practice partner, Arturo Sandoval, Keith is on the path to a fresh approach to the trumpet and to life. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to uh, this week's episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang. I am your host, Jose Johnson. I am joined by Mr. Keith Fiala. Mr. Keith, what's happening, bro? Good morning, sir. How are you? Oh, man. I am just living the dream out here uh, in wonderful uh, central Pennsylvania. And you are out in sunny, smoky California right now. So how is it out there, man? What's going on? You know, it's it depends on the day. It depends on the wind. Um, some, sometimes you have smokier days than others. Uh, like right now today, it's very clear. It's very beautiful. Um, so, you know, no complaints. I mean, this is, this is to me, heavenly weather all the, all year round. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. You're originally from Austin. Oh, no, you, you were originally from Des Moines, right? Right. Iowa, uh, moved down to Austin in 88 to study at UT, stayed there for a long time and then, uh, got the opportunity to work with Arturo in 2017. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Cool. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that, uh, in, here in a bit, but, uh, yeah, just kind of set the stage for, for folks who may not know, know much about you. So, uh, you know, uh, Iowa boy, corn fed, corn fed boy. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so Austin, um, that is, you know, Austin has certainly over the, you know, the past few decades developed the the reputation of of being uh you know a very cool place for artists so uh what was the music scene like while you're there well I, I gotta be honest when i first moved there it was more hip than what it is now um yeah it was kind of a hidden gem it was one of those places that you could go to and on a tuesday night you could walk down the street and any number of guys would be playing like kirk whalen would be playing at a place called baxter's mm. uh, Baxter's disappeared. A bunch of the very, very, really hippie, cool places like um, yeah, there was a place on Second Street that's now gone. That you know they bring in world artists. So uh, Johnny Clegg and Sabuka, I saw them. Um, mm-hmm. It was very cool. And then they started doing um, what was initially, what's the word for it? Um, <laughs> oh my God! It happens in the spring. I'm having sorry. I haven't had enough coffee. Southwest. Thank you. South by Southwest. Yeah. It was very cool. It was supposed to draw in people to hear local bands and, you know, regional musicians that would drive in and, and perform and, and kind of give you an idea of, Hey, these guys are out here. They're having a hard time being noticed. Um, and then it turned into this corporate thing. And so it, it started becoming known as the, as the locals say South by so what, um, yeah. So it's like, you know, now you have to have a badge, you got to have thousands of dollars and, so the city started really capitalizing on that. Um, 
through the decades, I was out on tour with Maynard Ferguson in 2004 um, and largely for the, for the period of the year. And so when I came back to Austin and started kind of integrating and working in Austin again, I was looking around going, man, this place has really changed and not for the good. It became very, uh, very corporate. A lot of people have moved in. So some of the places, the venues that I was playing in cover bands out by the lake were either shutting down or no longer doing live music because the people that were moving out there were like, we don't like the music. So it's like, mm -hmm. well, you're moving to the live music capital of the world or so it's coined. Right. <laughs> so um, by the time I got out of there, I was happy to leave. Um, like I said, the taxes had gotten expensive. It got, it got more corporate. Um, I was kind of done with the Texas heat. I guess as I got older, I got more intolerant of it. Um, and I just, I didn't want to wake up at 70 and being playing, playing someone's wedding, you know, yeah, 70 yeah. years old. So, yeah, well, I mean, that's interesting to hear that coming from you because, um, you know, being out here in, in, uh, the East coast ish, whatever you want to call it, um, the, the reputation that South by Southwest has, or at least in the past, you know, uh, since I've been aware of it was, oh man, this is this really cool, very hip kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I guess, you know, for someone who, who has kind of been in the middle of it and seen, you know, where it started and what it turned into, that uh, it may not be exactly what it has been presented to be to a lot of artists. So. Sadly, it's not. I mean, you know, if you have a big name and you're trying to get your name bigger and you have sponsorships, then I'm hearing that South by Southwest is a good thing for you. But if you're an independent artist and you're really trying to get, you know, your legs under you, um, the opportunities, they're going to put you at, you know, at a spot at two o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night where you're going to have four people that can't see straight anymore. Right. <laughs> listening right. to you. So, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's one of those corporate things. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I have a few friends, actually one who, uh, was going to South by Southwest, uh, uh for a bit. Um, you know, they're, they're local or regional music pro or producers or, uh, you know, um, they put on shows and things like that and and they've tried to to launch music festivals in our area and even that sometimes i mean i just really have it, i have a kind of a, a sour taste in my mouth with music festivals because they're really not that much about the music they're not they're not um i understand survival of the fittest um i understand and, you know, the festival has to make money. They have employees to pay. They have bands to pay. Right. And you don't want to come out of it, you know, in the negative. Um, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, if you're going to call it, you know, if you're going to paint it as your opportunity or say said person's opportunity to be discovered, then try to keep it that way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it was a lot of the, uh, you know, hey, if, if you're if you already have a following, we're going to put you on the main stage. And if, you know, you're trying to get a following, we're going to we're going to stick you on those Tuesday night at you know, two o'clock in the morning. And, and exactly. Yeah. So which actually should be the other way around. You know, you would think, you know, it's like, you know, the people that need to get the most exposure, the people that should be, you know, captive you know on that main stage because, you know, you exactly. want you, you want to give them give them a shot. So, well, so you're let's uh, let's kind of launch from there you, you went on the road with maynard um that section let's see that was uh uh was carl in the band at that time it was my first run was carl fisher uh patrick hessian myself 
Mm -hmm. um, when we broke over the summer, Carl had already picked up the Billy Joel thing and mm -hmm. we started to work with Billy. So it was, um, oh yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the guy in forever. Um, I'll think of it. Kenny. Um, yeah. Kenny not, not, not Kenny. Not Robin. Kenny not, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that guy, that Kenny. Oh my God, he's gonna watch his podcast and go, "Really, dude? You forgot my name?" Um, great guy, great player. Um, and Patrick's still on lead. Patrick mm -hmm. was, you know, through the entire tenure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I left in November of two thousand four. Okay, and uh, uh, let's see that. Uh, I'm trying to think. That was, a, that was uh, man. Now I'm I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Reggie, uh, was yeah. Reggie was Reggie was the uh, musical director at that point. He was the MD. Yeah. At that yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a kicking band, man. It was, it was, it was. Yeah. So what was your connection to get into to the band? I mean, how did that all come about? Um, I had a local friend, um, that introduced me in the way you could be introduced in 2002, 2003, um, to Reggie. And he said, hey, man, I understand you want on the band. Send me an audition tape and we'll see if we can stick you in line. And so at that time, um, I got a call early, early 2004. And Reggie said, we've heard your tape. Maynard likes what you do. Do you want the gig? And I jumped at it. Um, not, not having any intentions of making money. You don't go out with Maynard to make money. Right. Um, you go out for the experiences. And I'm glad I did. I learned a ton. Um, mm -hmm. Got my got my tail tucked between my legs a few times, which I really needed, um, and it was it was a great experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That band, um, I, I keep threatening to do an episode of uh, MF alumni, and uh, you know get get the guys together because you know the, there were certainly many stories about people like Buddy Rich that were not necessarily uh, that great. Not favorable. Uh, <laughs> but you know everybody that I've talked to, everybody I know that 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 played on Maynard's band, they've always come away saying, you know, wow, that was like really kind of a transformational period for me, and and yeah, I learned so much from him and his attitude and things like that. So. Oh, he was he was one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life. Um, very jovial, very kind. Um, yeah, I mean, never heard a crossword from him. He was just a beautiful guy. Yeah. But still, you know, I know being a trumpet player in that band had to be tough because, you know, you've got one of the, the all time greats standing in front of you and he, he hears everything. So, oh yeah. Oh, he knew, he knew everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's interesting when you say, you know, my kind of the, uh, the personality, you know, obviously, you know, they have the stage personality and then you have the offstage personality. And it's always great when you find people who, um, you know, what you see on stage is, is basically the same person, maybe just a little bit bigger because of, you know, having to project your personality. But um, in terms of like, you know, the management style, uh, you know, was he just, you know, when, when you did not live up to your expectations i mean was he was he more of the you know hey let's let's get it the next time kind of guy or you know the you know pick up a shoe and throw it at you kind of guy no not at all um he was he was very kind there were a few times um i started running into problems because i was trying to switch gear on the band which is a huge mistake um i should have listened to carl fisher so carl if you're listening thank you for the advice i'm sorry i didn't heed it um uh, and so, you know, in talking with Maynard, um, he really offered guidance and he really offered me 
just the shoulder that I needed um, because I didn't have, I had, I had okay teachers as a kid. I think I had more hunger than, than anything. Had I had better guidance, I think I would have gotten a little, you know, in a different place. Um, so it's taken me a lot of, a lot of years to make things up, but Maynard was very forthcoming with um, anything he thought that might help. Um, never once did he go, Hey man, you suck tonight. You know, it was never like that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, he was, he was a really inspirational, beautiful guy. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, you know, uh, now we transition, uh, you know, you, you've, you've played with, uh, you know, definitely one of the, one of the, the Mount Rushmore of trumpet, uh, right there with, with Maynard and, you know, you, you come back to Austin and then you, you know, how do you find yourself working with a person who's, you know, arguably if not the greatest one of the greatest trumpet players alive today uh yeah i i feel like you know in terms of being an all-around musician i think there, there are very few people that can can hold a candle to what uh arturo uh has been able to do and accomplish in his career and is still doing so how do you end up uh being with arturo um i briefly met him while touring with Maynard, so i was very fortunate to get to meet him um and to be honest, I mean, I humbly asked, you know, I, I, I should say I worked up the courage to humbly ask if I could possibly maybe take a lesson from it. And instantly, just a really, really nice guy. Um, I hear a lot of people say different things about him, um, even before I'd met him. And so I try not to take away from other people's experiences, try to have my own. Right. And I, I found him instantly just a, a warm guy, kind of guarded you know, like he should be because he is, he's, he's way up there. Um, and most people are clamoring to try to get to him to see what they can get from him. Right. And so, um, he, he gave me his information and I started studying with him. Um, I would have, because I lived in Texas, I was having to go out only once a year, once every other year, whatever I could afford, um, to do. And then as time got got going like around 2011, 2012, I started going out once a year, twice a year, three times a year, spending more time with him. Mm -hmm. And we really developed um, a nice friendship, a nice symbiotic friendship. And in 2017, he was down at TMEA, which is Texas Music Educators Association's the conference. He was invited to play with a high school band. Um, and so I, I drove down to San Antonio and, and spent the afternoon with him, spent the morning with him went and had lunch and I had already, I had already been thinking about, you know, God, can I even begin to try to make it in Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. We had that conversation a couple of years before and we're eating lunch and he's looking at me and he goes, when are you moving to Los Angeles? And I said, I don't know, I'm working on it. And he says, okay, you're going to come work for me. And I really thought he was joking. Right. Um, I didn't take him serious. I went, Oh yeah. Okay, sure. And, so we finished lunch. He doesn't say anything else. He says, okay, come back to my hotel. I got a pack. I've got to go. And so I did. So we get in the room and he says, sit down. So I sit down on the couch and he looks at me and goes, I'm serious. I want you to join my band. He said, this is what I need. And I was like, well, how can I say no? You know, right. so halfway between in tears and, and excitement and mind blown, um, he tells me he needs someone that can help him on the road, a road manager, basically, that can take care of any issues that come up, set him up, sound check for him so he's not having to deal with that stuff. Um, and then he can just basically kick back and enjoy the gig like it's supposed to be. Um, 
And that's, that's been my gig with him. Um, uh, as you know, once I moved out, um, he called me up one day and he goes, Hey man, I need a practice partner. And I said, uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> and so it turned into where I was, I was basically hanging with him. If we were on the road, I was there two, three, four times a week and we were practicing together. And of course, you know, what am I going to say? No. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, now it's, it's spiraled into where he's, he's really been, um, a complete and total inspiration to try to get my own thing going. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very supportive of that. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to leave his side. So as he does his thing, I'll be there for him as support. Mm -hmm. And he's supportive of what I want to do on my end. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's awesome, man, because, you know, mentoring is, um, it's become kind of a lost art. You it know, really has find people that, that are willing to, to take you under their wing and, and share their experiences and, and stuff like that. And, and, and to be able to spend time with him in so many different, uh, areas, you know, the, the arena of the performance, the arena of, you know, just the, the road gigs and then the business side of things, man, those are invaluable lessons. Yeah. I think, you know, honestly, the biggest thing that I could, I could, spend the rest of my days trying to repay and could never repay. He made it safe to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I never had that in my past. It was either you were good or you weren't. And there was no in between. Right. So it's almost like saying you have talent, you have no talent. And right. so when it was one of the first few practice sessions that we were working together and he could tell I was visibly, you know, I was visibly uptight and he looks at me and goes, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And I said, man, I'm just, yeah, I don't want to sound bad in front of you. He goes, why? <laughs> and so we had that discussion and he really, like I said, the best way to say it is he made it safe for me to sound bad, to be able to grow and go, oh, that's why I'm sounding bad. This is how I'm going to fix it. Right. And, you know, actually that was a, that was one of the points that, you know, I wanted to, to discuss with you, um, you know, our we were talking a uh, pre-interview about uh, the person who is responsible for hooking us up, which was uh, Mike Del Quadro. You know, those of you who don't know Mike, I did an interview with him uh, several episodes ago, so check it out. Uh, but Mike was saying to me, he's like, you know, Keith, he said, every time I hear him, he's getting better, but you know, he's just on the grind. I mean, he is just practicing like crazy and he's, you know, posting all this stuff and you got to check it out. And, and, you know, and, and listening to us, it, it really inspired me because, you know, it, it's very easy once you establish yourself as a professional to play it safe and to not do things to, to push yourself and especially not to push yourself in public, you know, in front of the public eye and just, but, but that's the only way you're going to get better. You know, you've got to be willing to do the things that you can't do. And the first time you try it, you're, you're going to sound like ass. There's just no two ways about it. So, uh, yeah, I just, I was checking out your, um, uh, your video of you, uh, playing Cherokee and, you know, you're kind of just being honest about it. like, Hey, this tune always scared me. And, now it doesn't. So, right. you know, that I think if, if anything else, I mean, that's just a huge contribution that you've made to anyone who's going to see or hear that of saying, yeah, you know, it's okay to admit that I've got this deficiency, but I worked on it. You know, that's, that's right. amazing. 
Yeah. No, and that's, that's the biggest thing. Like I said, and without Arturo's guidance, the old me, say four years ago, there's no way in God's green earth I would have even touched that tune because it did. It intimidated me. And especially at those ridiculous tempos. Oh. You know, so it's it's one of those things I've worked on and worked on and worked on. And I I actually, before I posted it, I called Arturo and I said, will you listen to this and see what you think? And he gave me the truth. I mean, and that's what I can always expect from him. It's never that he's trying to blow sunshine up my skirt. It's always him being honest. Yes, it sounds great. Post it. No, I'd go back and I'd work on this because there's there's been a lot of videos that I've sent him or songs that I've sent him and he's like, man, you need to go back and check that chord because you're playing an E and it should be an E flat. And he hears that stuff and it's amazing how how quickly he can grab that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's very kind. And that's I I really appreciate Mike saying that and I appreciate you saying that because it really should be about growth, man. It's not about who's better, who can play higher. It's it has nothing to do with that. Music is a language. Yeah. You know, bottom line. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes um, it's very easy to lose sight of why we do this. Right. You know, um, nobody picked up the trumpet uh, saying, well, very, I, I, no one I know picked up the trumpet saying, you know, I'm going to cut this guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stomp this guy. The reason we picked it up you know, and stuck with it was because we loved it. We loved the sound. We loved the, the feel of the horn. We loved the, you know, we loved the, the creativeness of the instrument. And somewhere along the line, we lost sight of the beauty uh, that, that can come out of that instrument. And uh, especially when we start getting paid for it, that's, I think sometimes that's the, that's the kiss of death right there because you, you become so afraid of, of making a mistake and not getting called back for a gig or, and, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, embracing the joy and the joy has a lot, you know, I, I, so I, I'll just tell the story quickly. So bear with me audience. Um, you know, um, my, you know, I, I've been playing trumpet for most of my life, you know, like, like, you know, most guys, you know, started, you know, about fifth, sixth grade, something like that. But, what I do, what I have done for the past 30 years more than anything else is I've been a, a martial arts instructor, professional martial artist. Beautiful. And, um, one of my teachers, a very famous teacher from China, had this quote, and it made perfect sense then, and it makes even more sense now. He said, when you do something, you know, you need to do it with, with feeling, you know, not just try to do things technically correct. There needs to be some feeling to what you're doing. He says that, you know, it's like when you try to, to kiss someone. He says, if you, you know, if you try to make sure you have the proper moisture on your lips and the right placement and the pressure is correct, you know, that's not a kiss. A kiss, if it's sloppy and you get half of the face and, you know, but it has passion, then you communicate through that. And I think with trumpet, it's the same thing. You know, we worry so much about being, you know, what's the right embouchure? What's the right equipment? What's, what's this, what's that? Instead of what's the feeling. And, you know, if you're a little sloppy, but you got great feeling, uh, and you're connecting with people, I think that's more important than anything else. Right. I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, you know, Arturo has a great way of saying things. Um, very, very, very few trumpet players are true artists. True artists um, are 
basically inside the music and they're not worried about the high notes. They're not worried about how loud they're playing or, or how perfect they're playing. They're worried about the music and the message that they're conveying. If you go down from that, you have the trumpet players and those are the guys that are technically proficient, um, but they lack a little soul, yeah. you know, and then you have the bottom rung, which is where I was for a very, very long time. And I'm trying to climb my way up. You have the blowers. You have the guys that are basically just the linebackers of the band. They're playing loud. They're playing high. They're worried about like what you said, the gear, the embouchure, the, all the stuff, all the, all the physicality of it. And the music is the last thing they're thinking about. And that's when I, when I finally woke up to that fact, it was like, Oh my God, have I been missing that all of these decades? Because really, ultimately, you're right. It's about the music. It's about the kiss, not about, you know, anything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think, it, uh, you know, there's still a rung below that, and that's where I am. I'm the suckers. So, you know, I can't even blow. And it just, I just basically suck. So, no, I'm just, just kidding. Uh, although some of my bandmates will probably agree with that. Uh, anyway, um, when we think about like, you know, for, for yourself, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, you, you, you were in Austin, you're with Maynard, you're with Arturo, uh, you've had all these different things going on. So it seems like you've made, um, a few fairly major changes in your life. You know, you've had some, some milestones and some metamorphosis going on, and now you're working on, uh, basically, I guess, kind of a new approach to, to music and, and trumpet and what it means to you. So, uh, what goes, what, what's gone through your mind as you've been approaching these, these kind of pivotal moments in your life? I mean, what, what are the, the thought processes that you have and, and what are kind of some of the big lessons that you you've gotten out of these so far? Um, well, okay. So the best way to say it is I had to learn to get out of my own way because I think what happens is we hit a certain point and we become defensive and almost like protective of what we've accomplished or what we're trying to accomplish. And so we, we set up these barriers. And so when you go to someone like Arturo um, or you go to someone who you admire, Wynton Marsalis, you really, much like martial arts, um, you know, they start you off with a white belt because they feel like it, that's your mind is empty and you're an open book to be able to receive the knowledge. That's really what you need to be to be a student of music, not just trumpet, but of music. And I've met a lot of guys. I've sat in some of the lessons that Arturo's taught. Um, I've had guys ask me questions. Hey, what does Arturo tell you to do about this? And then instantly when you start to tell them, they're like, Oh yeah, no, I knew, I knew all that. I knew all that. It's like, bro, if you know that it's not showing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that's the first and foremost thing I had to do is I had to get out of my own way and go, okay, I don't know anything. And everything I knew up to this point is irrelevant. Um, So that's been the biggest thought process. And every time I run into a stumbling block, I have Arturo to fall back on because I can call him up and go, boss, if you ever run into this, oh, of course, of course, you know? So you're not the only one out there that has had to practice 15 million hours a day just to try to be able to play at 150 or 200 or it's 60 with feeling, you know, it, it just, it's what it takes. Um, so yeah, that's been, that's been the biggest thing is getting out of my own way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, that's really powerful because, you know, I, I often would tell my, my students, uh, back in the day that, um, uh, 
you know, if I try to give a correction and they go, oh yeah, I know that. Like, now, now look, if you say you know it and you can't do it, that means either A, you really don't know it, or B, you're intentionally not doing it. Right? So you're, 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 you're either lacking knowledge or you're lacking motivation. So which one is it? And, exactly. you know, so it's, it's being able to be humble. And I always look at art as a refining process. It's not about gaining more skills, particularly uh, once you get a level of, of general mastery, you know, once you can play the trumpet, if you can play, you know, play your scales and, and just basically, you know, have modicum of ability on the horn, uh, it's about stripping away stuff. It's about getting rid of the, the bad habits. It's about getting rid of the, 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 the mental garbage that we, that we all tend to have. And I think especially trumpet players, we, man, we are the, the most mental people in the world sometimes. And we're the most, we're most, the, the hardest people on not only ourselves, but our fellow trumpet players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it can be brutal. You're exactly right. And I, I think, you know, the three most dangerous words anyone can say is I know that. I know because, that. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can keep your mind open and I, I see it a lot on social media um, where people are so closed and they have blinders on and they refuse to see any other way. And it, that can be any, any, any topic. Um, and it's really sad because it's like, wow, you're really limiting yourself to growth, you know, because ultimately I had a mentor years ago tell me if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. So continue to grow because look at a tree, a tree doesn't, a tree doesn't ever stop growing until it's done. Right. You know? So that's, exactly. and that's the lesson I've learned not only from Arturo, but also from Maynard keep yeah. going there's you're not at the end it, it's not a destination it's a continual journey yeah well you know the this is and this is actually the first time that, that you and i have, have had a conversation uh, you know i have been familiar with your your work before i mean obviously from maynard's band uh but also um yeah i remember seeing some clips of you with uh with pops uh, uh, yeah. some some of the stuff that that you know you were working on with with him and that, it, you know, and as I thought about things, you know, today as we were preparing, I was preparing to, to talk with you, it's like, yeah, you know, that, that's kind of Keith, you know, as Keith seems to be willing to put himself out there and to look at ways to improve his playing um, and not just say, well, this is the way I was taught and this is the way I'm always going to do it. You know, you, you seem to have that attitude of how can I make things a little bit better? So, um, you know, in terms of like... Um, your concepts of, of playing, I, I know that you had a, uh, I don't know if you still uh, you sell the book, uh, you had a, a method of uh, about face. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so so what's uh, what's that all about and what are the concepts you use uh, with with your teaching methods? Um, you know, I got to be honest, I haven't, I haven't actually really taught a lesson in a long time since I moved out to Arturo. Um, but that book was written because I had gone through an issue where I had some personal issues, um, was working out and I lost weight. And when you lose weight, you don't lose it just in your midsection, right? You lose it everywhere. And so I started going through bad chop problems again. And so one of the first calls I made was to Wayne Bergeron, um, because I understood he went through the same thing, but you know, in a different way, 
for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and he turned me on to um, saying I needed to call Chad Schutman because Chad Schutman had gone through the same issue. And I was fortunate enough that Arturo agreed to do an interview with me as well. And that's really what the basis of the book was about was that, you know, you have to do the right things in the right way. It's not about the gear. Um, I, I do believe not all mouthpieces fit and work for everybody. So not everybody can be on a seven C or a three C or a five C. Um, and that's a little limiting from a lot of the band directors in Texas that I used to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the book kind of addresses that. Um, but the books, there was one previous to that too, the secrets um, of efficient secrets of efficiency or whatever I called it back then, back in 2009. Um, it was more of like, um, should we say a milestone of where I was on my journey in the growth. Um, there's a lot of things I would write differently now from what I wrote 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's also part of the beautiful journey too, you know? Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, I had a student once and got so frustrated with me and was talking to one of his classmates and saying, you know, I can't believe Jose. I mean, it's like all the stuff that I learned from him 10 years ago, he does it now and it's, it's totally different. And she looked at him and goes, yeah, he's getting better and learning more. So yeah, it should change. And I think so many of us look at that, um, as a negative, you know, if, if your concepts are, if they they have to they have to evolve you know if you're evolving as a person if you're changing as a person then your approach has to change and sometimes it's not even evolution sometimes it's the uh the decline because as you know in the case of you know losing weight you know as you get older uh any kind of physiological change and, and even psychological changes are going to manifest themselves in a change in the way you have to approach things and so, you know, if you can't do those kind of internal compensations, then, you know, that's when you have to rely on some kind of external crutch or aid in order to do that. So, you know, sometimes it's an equipment change. Sometimes it's an approach change. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, play a different instrument. I don't know. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of, kind of cool that, that you were uh, able to, to work through that. And yeah, the weight, the weight loss thing. Yeah, I know a lot of guys who've gone, who've gone yeah. through that. It, it can really mess you up. Um, it's, it's one of those situations, like I said, where, you know, you, you have a certain placement and you have a certain feel that you're used to. And when that feel disappears over time, very slowly, because it's, it's almost one of those things where you just don't even realize it. Um, I used to, I used to beat my face senseless and I would do that for days, weeks on end. And I come back the next day and it's like, why is nothing working? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have receptors up here to say, Hey, I'm tired. Like if you go and work out at the gym really hard, you're going to wake up the next day going, Oh man, I'm not doing that again. Your face doesn't give you the same indicator. Yeah. So that makes it frustrating because we don't know why things are working. We just know they're not working. Yeah. And so hence the, the mouthpiece game, you know, oh, I don't like this horn anymore. It's not giving me what I wanted. The sound's different. No, man, you gotta, you've got to find a balance with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the people tend to, uh, you know, it's like if things aren't working, then you, know, you go into panic mode and it's like, let's change 
everything you know exactly. new mouthpiece new horn you know whatever it's like let's just change everything instead of you know trying to identify one variable and adjust that one variable tweak that variable and if it, if that works then great then you know but uh, it's almost like a scientific approach to to playing and of course we know uh from our current environment uh science means nothing yes. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, that, that, that's really cool that, that you've, you know, it, it's one of those things where, where you hate that, it, that you had to go through it, but once you've gone through it and you've developed a level of uh, understanding and, you know, being a, a compassionate and empathetic person, then you're wanting to make sure that you can prevent someone else from having to make the, you know, go through the same level of, of distress that you went through. Exactly. Exactly. And I, like I said, I mean, the biggest thing was getting out of my own way because, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was very defensive. Um, there were a lot of instances where I just didn't want to hear it. I wouldn't listen. Someone would be like, hey, man, yeah, you sound good, but you really should be working on this. And I'm like, nope, don't want to hear it, you know, inside my mind while I'm smiling at them. Right. Um, and it turns out, looking back, it's like, wow, they were right. I should have been doing that stuff. I should have been doing this systematically every single day to promote growth. Um, and I'm grateful that I woke up. Well, eventually you will grow up. So it's exactly, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, right now, what um, what would you classify your your approach to music as being? I mean, like, if we think about okay, what's the what's the biggest difference between Keith from ten years ago to Keith from today in terms of your approach to uh, to trumpet and music? Um, easy. I I don't think about high notes. I don't care about high notes. Um, if they're there, great. If they're not, I don't care. Um, I don't. I don't see how high I can play every day, um, it, unless I'm doing something that's like an expanding scale, or, you know, I'm I'm more focused on trying to warm up everything. First and foremost, get my mind on the game. Um, secondly, make sure that I'm doing proper things that are going to warm up the face and the breathing. Um, what was it? <laughs> God, um, there was a great guy who passed away several years ago that had a great saying, and it was basically um, engage brain before inserting mouthpiece in gear. And it was exactly, uh, it was exactly right. You know, and it's, you have to be in the right mental frame before you can start doing anything physical. And it, it's the same for an athlete or anybody else. Yeah. And so I go through a process every single day. It's the same routine. Um, and it's something that Arturo and I have worked on um, that I've found that basically gets me prepared and it also starts to put me in the frame of mind of, okay, let's push the envelope a little bit faster today. Let's see if I, if my tongue will work faster today or better. Will it be more in alignment? Um, I'm hyper-focused on sound or I wasn't before. Mm -hmm. um, if, I mean, I'm, I'm doing what Arturo calls cleaning the sound. So taking a G and trying to make that G at any given volume as clean as you can with beautiful sound, 
and resonant sound, not loud, because I mean, you know, learning from him, people go, man, he plays loud. No, he plays full. Mm-hmm. It's not loud, it's full. There's a difference. Loud has characteristics of like, you can hear it to start sparkling and it just doesn't sound centered and focused anymore. So that's been a big thing. Um, taking a lot of his guidance, actually saying it correctly, taking all of his guidance and trying to instill it every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spend a, a large amount of time in the Clark book. I spend a bit of time in the Arbens every single day. And then Timothy Dokchies wrote a book, um, great classical guy from uh, Moscow, Russia. He was principal for the Moscow Symphony for 30, 35 years. Amazing book, extremely frustrating. So I spend a fair amount of time in it every day as well. Um, and just trying to play as clean and as pretty as I can, no matter what. So it, it, it's funny because <laughs> I used to have the same mentality and I heard somebody come into a lesson with Arturo and he opens up the Arben book at the very front of the book and it's quarter notes, half notes. And the, the person I, who shall remain sexless and nameless and just a, a vivid of your imagination said, you know, I really want to work on improvisation and I'm here to learn how to do that and play it in better with better range. And so that he's like, okay, but let's do this. And he said, okay, but when do we get to the music? And Arturo stopped and he put his horn down and he said, what do you think this is? And I, that's another huge aha moment because that was fairly early into my tenure with him. Mm-hmm. And I stopped and thought, oh my God. And then he said to me multiple times, if you can't play that musically, we got nothing else to talk about. So whether you're playing 30 million second notes, 30 second notes, or you're playing half notes, whole notes, quarter notes, eighth notes, it has to be musical and it has to be beautiful. That wasn't my mentality before. I didn't care what the rhythm was. I'm going to hit the high G, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And that was it. So long story short, but that's, that's the answer to the question. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that's really cool. And yeah, I, I have talked to a lot of people about that recently that, um, you know, the, the musicality, uh, especially in terms of technical studies. Um, yeah, I, I've, uh, was fortunate enough to be able to, to interview my friend, uh, Scott Belk, who, uh, oh, wrote yes, the, his, uh, his Lipsler books are, you know, they're just, they're great. I mean, first of all, they're just funny as hell. They're but, brutal. Uh, <laughs> brutal. I mean, they are absolutely brutal. But it's you know the idea of hey, you know we've you need to do this kind of work, but it doesn't have to be as tedious as we tend to make it. So if you can start to learn how to approach everything, you know your just you know, your long tones, your flexibility work, your technical studies. If you can't play those musically, then you know, you can't, you can't do anything. But the problem is, is because we, from the educational standpoint, those were segmented. It's like, okay, this is technical studies. And, and, and you know, then this is, now you're playing music. It's like, no, as soon as, as, as soon as you get your horn out, you're making music. Exactly. So, it's a musical instrument. It's funny, Arturo, or I'm, I'm sorry, Maynard told me when I first joined the band, he said that his favorite people to listen to favorite musicians were opera singers and so his approach to music from when he was a child was to be as operatic as he possibly could so if you listen to the recording of Payachi, you know yeah. or Scheherazade 
mm-hmm. or Maria. Oh my God, it's so flowing and musical and trumpet players fall extremely short because they hear the high notes. Well, an opera singer is going to hear not only the high notes, but the, the lyricism and the musicality. And so they're going to have a different mental approach to it. And when I finally woke up to that fact, and this is long after I left Maynard's band, I was like, oh my God, that's what he was telling me. So there's so many things that we hear that basically falls on deaf ears because it can't get past, you know, our blockages. Yeah. So, yeah, you're exactly right. The Scott Belk book, um, some of the other books that have been written based off the Clark or based off the Arbins mm-hmm. that are meant to twist things. Michael Sachs is another one. Michael Sachs is an amazing trumpet player that has written some really great books that Arturo and I've worked out of. And, you know, it's, it's funny because Arturo said this to me. He said, you know, if you look at this, it looks very simple, but it's not because it has to be played with musicality and it has to be played with emotion and feeling. And he said, if you can make somebody cry off the first few pages of Arbin, now you've got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that ability to just um, speak through the horn, you know, so whether, whether you want to say speak or sing, you know, like in the, in the case like Maynard, you know, thinking, you know, like, like the opera singer, um, it's like, if you're if you're speaking you know you can say a million words but you know if there's no emotion to it if there's no conviction to it it doesn't matter but you know you know someone who who just speaks with with uh, a deep like so that's why like if you if you listen to a classically trained uh, theater person you know someone who's who studied Shakespeare and things like that you know I think about like you know why why do people like James Earl Jones or you know uh, though he's not as classically trained like Morgan Freeman or you know someone has that kind of voice but it's got the voice has got that like you're talking about with Arturo it's got this fullness it's not a loud voice but it's just it's got all the overtones to it and everything that's said is said with such a level of gravity and importance and emotion that even if it's just, hello, Keith, how are you today? You, you're drawn into it, you know? And so I think sometimes that we, that we forget that, that music is a, is a method of communication. It's a method of touching each other's, you know, souls. So, um, you know, when, when you're playing now and, and you're thinking about this, this new concept of sound, um, you know, where, where does your mind go to, or, you know, what, where does your heart go to, or where, where do you go to find that sound? Um, honestly, I, I kind of follow Arturo's guidance on this. Um, I listen, say for instance, if I'm going to record a song, um, a Jobim song, I did uh Jinji the other day and I went back and I listened to Al Jarreau. I listened to an original recording from Jobim himself. I listened to Elder Barge. Um, they did a great CD. It was like uh, a twist of Jobim back in the, I want to say early 2000s, maybe late 90s. And so I listened to the approach of their lyricism. Um, if I'm going to do a, um, a standard, I'll go back and I'll try to find Ella Fitzgerald. I'll try to find Billie Holiday. I'll try to find Aretha Franklin, believe it or not, because their approach is different from somebody who's looking at a page and going eighth note, quarter note, eighth note, triplet, you know, they're not thinking that way. They're thinking lyricism. They're thinking lyrically. And so it forces me, should we say off the page? 
Um, and that's probably been over the past seven months. That's been the biggest lesson that I've gained from Arturo is get off the page, hear the lyricism. What do you want to say with these lines? Because if you listen to the lyrics, it makes you say it in a different way than if you're just looking right. at, you know. Yeah, I, and I can't remember who I heard talking about that. It, it wasn't on one of my podcasts, unfortunately. But uh, I do remember someone saying about learning, like with standards particularly, you know, learning the lyrics because the lyrics are the story, you know. And you, you know, if you play all the notes... Uh, but you don't understand what the what the composer was trying to say, then it's it's hard to really capture it. So you know, getting that essence, I think that's that's really really important. I mean, when you start to listen to the lyrics of you know uh, some of the well, obviously you have to might have to translate some of the Jobim stuff, but you know when uh, you you start to understand what the what that composer is really talking about, it just changes your approach. Right. Because ultimately, a composer like Jobim was telling a story. Um, if you listen to Al Jarreau, the old recordings of Al, he was telling you a story. Um, you know, I, I think about George Benson, too. George is one of my favorite guitar players and favorite vocalists as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everything is lyrical. Everything is a story. Going back to Aretha Franklin, going to Prince. I mean, you know, it runs the gamut of, of singers and it doesn't matter what genre of music. Um, Arturo's asked a lot, what's your favorite style of music? And he said, the good one, you know, and they're like, Oh, jazz. And he's like, no, he'll listen to country. If it, if it has a meaning and a sense of you know, compassion and impassionment and it pulls you in, he'll listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So it's, that's, that's really the big thing is, is really trying because going from a technical aspect, which is articulation, and then going to a lyrical aspect, I'm finding that to achieve the lyricism, I have to use all of the articulation bag. It can't be slurring. It can't be tonguing. It can't be over-tonguing. It can't be under-tonguing. It has to be a mixture of everything. Mm -hmm. And there's no good answer to be able to tell a student until you say, you really need to have a good listen to this guy, the way he's singing it, and then mimic the words through your horn. And that's, that's self-discovery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we, you know, kind of saying with that idea that, you know, the, the artiste, uh, as opposed to the, the player, um, exactly. you know, you, when you're looking at the art, um, yeah, yeah. Great. You, you, you do want to listen to other trumpet players. I mean, obviously, you know, you want to listen to, to the, the standard bearers for, for our particular craft. Correct. But, uh, you know, listening to a great guitarist will give you a different feeling. Listen to a great bass player, a great vocalist. And, and from, you know, one of the things that, that I had kind of started doing years ago is, you know, I just, I have become obsessed with studying and observing uh, people who are great at their craft, any craft. I don't care what it is, cooking, uh, running a business, writing a book, whatever it is. It's like, if you're good at something, I mean, if you're the, you know, the, in the upper echelon of whatever it is you do, that you do, then there's some specific skill sets that you had to develop some, some mental skill sets that will apply to anything. You know, uh, there's a saying I love that, uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. And, exactly. you know, so the, the secrets to success are, are fairly consistent across the board. 
but there's these variations in how it's expressed. So, you know, when, when I can look at a, a dancer, a professional dancer, and see things that they do, like how they're moving and, and the rhythm and the pacing and the, the flow and the, you know, and that sort of thing, like, well, okay, well, if, if I'm trying to apply that to my music, it's like, well, does my music move in that way, you know? If I'm looking at graphic art, it's like, well, what's what's the artist trying to say? You know, what are the emotions it's drawing up? And you start to develop this palette, and like they use colors. You know, you develop a palette of sounds and 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 articulations and and things like that. So, yeah, I think that sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by just focusing on, well, I'm just going to listen to jazz trumpet players. You know, well, well, great. Yeah, you need to listen to Clifford and Freddie and and Miles and all those cats. Yeah, absolutely. But you should be listening to country music you should be as much as i hate to say that uh, you should be listening to you know <laughs> if it's good you should listen to it because there's something the reason it's good is because someone has developed their craft to a high level and you have something to learn from that you know it was i'm one of those guys that's guilty of owning an arbon book but rarely using it yeah i use it all the time it holds up my table keeps it even <laughs> but the thing that changed my mind about that um, it was a conversation with Arturo again fairly early on. And he said, did you know that Clifford Brown, including Freddie Hubbard and Clark Terry, would not leave home without their Arbon book? So if they were on the road, their Arbon book was in their hotel room and they were studying out of it. And that really blew my mind because the first thing that popped in my mind, like I'd say 95% of the other trumpet players is, oh, it's a classical book. I'm a jazz guy. No, man. Clark would take and he would swing all the stuff and then try to find variables on how he could make it swing even harder or maybe not swing it at all. Maybe he would play it as lyrically as he possibly could. There's so many golden nuggets in those books that they don't need to be rewritten, but you're exactly right. I mean, it doesn't matter what form of art you're doing. You know, the process had to be there. And I think the artist or the, the person that's become successful basically had to get out of their own way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're our own worst enemy. That's that's without a doubt. Um, and uh, so let, let's do this real quick. Um, you know, I, I, let's do the obligatory gear gearhead stuff. So yeah, you know that because yeah, yeah, we're trumpet players. You know, we're never gonna get past that uh, that that caveman mentality. So uh, what kind of stuff are you uh, are you playing on these days? My mouthpieces are from Austin Winds um, out of Austin, Texas. A really good buddy of mine, Doug Maines, runs that company. Um, I also play his trumpets. Um, he, he has a, a trumpet out called the Ballad, the Balanced Ballad. And so that's my dark trumpet. Um, and then my go-to horn anymore is one that Mike Del Quadro put together for me. Um, Arturo was kind enough to let me play what he calls his Frankenstein. And it's three or four different trumpets. I can't remember now put together to become one mm -hmm. and he calls it Frankenstein um, kind of like who just passed away yesterday. Eddie Van Halen had the guitar that he called Frankenstein. Right. And so over the, the course of about a year and a half, cause it took a while to find the parts. We assembled the parts for me able to build my own. I took it to Mike and said, can you do something with this? And he put it together and that's now my go-to horn. Yeah. yeah. As far as concerned. Flugelhorn yeah. I'm using uh, an old Courtois. An R54, I think, R54, or 154, rather. Um, it was the same one that Maynard was playing uh, when I was on the band with him. So I just happened to have the same model. It's not his. It's 
the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you got to do what you got to do, man. Exactly. Uh, so you you've been doing some uh, video editing as well, I understand. I have um, over the over the course of the lockdown, I've had to learn how to run Pro Tools in Logic. So I do a lot of recording engineering for Arturo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't classify myself as an engineer. I classify myself somebody who gets lucky. Um, and then the video editing thing, I've been doing videos now for a few years um, using some of the Apple products like uh, Final Cut. And so when Arturo figured out I could do that, we started working together on, on various projects. So I always send him and say, okay, what do you think, boss? And if he likes it, great. If not, he'll say, okay, take this image out and put this in, or maybe that's not a real good angle for me. So put, you know, put the other video we did in. And mm-hmm. So it's a nice balance. We work together. Uh, on that stuff and he's he's been he's been great he's really helped me grow made it safe again for me to be able to make mistakes um which is great and so we we try to put out the best we can but yeah it's it's been a learning process yeah well i mean besides the fact that that covid has just completely screwed the pooch for most of us in terms of of uh live performance um are you are you doing or were you doing or are you planning on doing more in the in the uh the live scene in LA uh as things become um, open? Um I mean I was playing lead for a couple of bands um that are friends of mine. Hey, hey boys, hey, hey. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, um so I'd like to get back in and play with, you know, friends that I've developed here in LA. Um I had a great time playing with them. Over the last seven months I've been putting together my own album. Um, so I've got a CD kind of in the works. I also have an EPK an electronic press kit in the works. Um, and our, again, Arturo has been helping me along with that. Go and listen and say, okay, well, I'll go back and fix this or maybe bring the bass down a little bit or tweak that. And he's been great helping me with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, as far as trying to, should we say, jump into the LA pond and swim, no, I really kind of want to be my own thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's it's an interesting world out there, you know, uh, having a, a few friends uh, that are in the scene out there that, uh, man, I, I, I certainly, I, I don't know if, if I had the, um, the mindset for that particular environment. Yeah, no, there's, there's some amazing players, great guys. Wayne is, I love Wayne to death, yeah. um, and I respect him greatly. Um, but what I see for myself is not swimming there. Um, mm-hmm. I see myself wanting to do more of what Arturo's doing mm-hmm. uh, with my twist on it. Yeah. Um, and that's just what speaks to me. It's, it has nothing to do with, well, I can make more money doing this. Right. Um, it has everything to do with what speaks to me. But mm-hmm. guys like Willie and, and uh, yeah, Wayne, all those guys have my respect. Dan Frenero, amazing yeah. musicians. Yeah. They're great musicians. And, and there's uh you know, they're, they're the people that, that thrive in the studio scene. They're the people that thrive in the, uh, you know, the, the, the featured artist kind of scene. And, you know, yeah. those that, that just kind of like to, to hang in the background and just, uh, you know, lurk in the shadows somewhat. So but they can, they can step out front too. It's, it's, they're amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, why? Yeah. I, you know, I've known, known Wayne for a number of years and, and, uh, yeah, he's just he's just a great guy, just one of those all around guys that uh, you know, he'll do whatever whatever is needed to be done. If it if it involves the trumpet, yeah, there's nothing that he can't do. 
uh, and just, you know, so, such a super, super nice guy. And I think that's, you know, there, there are, uh, and I'm mean, by no way insinuating that that studio session is, is, you know, full of, of ruthless, ruthless cutthroats, but it's a different environment. You know, what, what, what the demands that, that are put on you, uh, in that studio environment, you know, the, you know, the um, level of unpredictability, you know, you have to be able to deal with, with that. And it has to be something that, that doesn't create, uh, any mental tension and, you know, the, you know, do it over, do it over, do it over. And then, you know, the next gig you're, you're playing, you know, third in the symphonic piece and the next gig you're, you're playing lead on a Latin piece. And, you know, you, you've got to be able to, to jump around and, and it's great people can do it and do it well you know that's great and then other people just kind of like to you know stay in their lane and and just you know it's cool exactly. yeah you got to find you got to find your voice and i think that's um ultimately i think the the thing is that when people are trying to push you in a direction and saying well you know if you're a great player you need to be a session player or well, if you're a great player you need to be a symphonic player if you're a great player you, you know no you you need to do you need to express your music the way that best suits the way you want to express your music. I agree with you. I agree. Exactly. So, um, with that being said, uh, the, uh, the final portion of our episode is always a speed round. Now, yes, a speed round. So this is a rapid fire round. I'm going to throw a bunch of different questions at you. Uh, not all of them are related to music. Actually, very few of them are related to music. Yay. Uh, yay. <laughs> um, so, uh, we're going, we're just going to, going to throw these out and we're going to see where we land. Uh, I've got to cool. get, I've got to get a special, uh, sound effect for like, you know, when people give a really bad answer or something like that, you know, nice. so, but, uh, uh, here we go. Keith in his speed study round. First question. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Oh, my grandfather. What's your favorite book? Um, I can't think of the name of it. Um, Arbins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Say Arbins. Okay. <laughs> when in doubt, say Arbins or Clark. Uh, <laughs> what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh my God. Um, probably Cobra. Mm. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Um, a car designer, car builder. Mm. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Um, these days, coffee. Kona? Colombian? Um, more Italian. Italian. Espresso. Uh, espresso, okay. Uh, you're going to have a dinner party, and you can invite any three people in the world. Any three people. Who would they be? Arturo. Maynard and Dizzy. Okay. You didn't say living or dead, so well, I had to... yeah, see, I, I messed up because normally it's the first the, the first one would be let's do this one again. Okay, any three living people. Ah, three living. living people. Okay. Any three living oh, people. Let's say Arturo and family. Um, my mother and my uncle. Okay, good. Now, same question, but any three people from history. Any three people? Yeah, okay. So again, Arturo, Maynard, and Dizzy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, lacquer, plated, or raw? Um, lacquer. Okay. What's your favorite quote? Um, the quote about 
travel um, from Mark. Oh, Mark Twain. Sorry. <laughs> I'm being put on the spot. It's not my fault. <laughs> but yeah, his, his quote on travel is my favorite. Okay. What's your greatest fear? Um, having to go get a day job. Ooh, man. Uh, you're going to be granted one superpower, but only one. What would it be? Flight. Let's see here. Next question. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? High notes. Okay. And what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most underrated? Playing musically. Okay. Uh, you are granted the ability to go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um, don't get trapped in the high note game. Okay. And you're given just an extra couple seconds to give yourself advice about life. About life. Um, have more self-confidence, but yet remain humble. Okay. And the final question, what do you want your legacy to be? I worked hard. Um, I remained a nice person. Pretty much that. Okay. Well, you know, I think that if anything, that would be, you know, the world would just be a better place if, if we all kind of adopted that, you know, exactly. so just work hard, you know, yeah. don't be a jerk. And exactly, it's amazing what we could accomplish. Uh, uh, yeah. Because I mean, you know, like we talked about, one of the things I think about and remember Maynard for the most Yes, he was a great trumpet player, but I think about more of what who he was. And with Arturo, too, okay, yes, he's the best in the world. In my opinion, hands down, the best in the world. But he's like a father to me. That's what I will always hold dear to my heart. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's why I, I give the answers I give. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Keith, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. And uh, for all you listeners out there, just Please listen to the words coming from this man and not just the words, but just the fact that, that he's living, you know, he's practicing what he's preaching, you know, just keep at it, find a great mentor, you know, don't be afraid to, if there's someone, if someone who has some information that, that you think would be beneficial to you, uh, don't be afraid to ask them because, uh, you know, that's for, for most people, that's really what they want to do. They, they want to share their knowledge. They want to share their wisdom. They want to share their experience. And especially for those of us who love what we do, we want to inspire people who love the same thing to be able to get more joy out of uh, and satisfaction of what they do. I agree. So, and just get out of your own way. <laughs> get out of your own way, man. So Keith, thanks so much for spending time with me today. It's been and, an honor, man. Thank you so much. Oh man, I can't, I can't say enough good stuff. So uh, make sure you you uh, check the links in the show notes, and uh, you know we'll get you connected with Keith, uh, his website, and you know you can always uh, check him out on Facebook and things like that. And uh, keep an eye out for his upcoming release. I'm sure it's going to be killer. So, as always, thanks, folks, for hanging out with us. Peace and slide grease. We're out. 
Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.